You know, it seems kind of like uh, it must have been Providence because uh, uh, this morning we're going to talk about the responsibility to husbands and the husband's role designed by God. But 53 years ago, uh, coming Tuesday, I'll have been a husband for 53 years. And uh, <laughs> it's coming up. Doesn't seem possible. And I have been a father for 52 and a grandfather for 32 and a great-grandfather for five. So God's blessed me. He really has tremendously. Last week, Cameron gave us a wonderful message on the biblical family. And he gave us the blueprint for marriage and the, God's design. He spoke on God's purpose and God's sovereignty and God's design for our marriages. He showed us that the, the world's and society's view contrasted by God's de sovereign design according to His Word. And this morning it is my privilege to continue this service by looking at God's design for the role or the responsibilities for the husband. Sorry, ladies. Uh, you'll have to wait till next week, and then my dear fellow pastor elder, Cameron, will instruct you. So you'll have to wait a whole week. There'll be things today, I'm sure, that will resonate with you as well. And to those of you who are not married, uh, this sermon, you can prepare for when that day might come for you. Let us please turn in our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 23 through 31, we'll read together. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and his himself, its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present, so he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, I come before you this morning just now uh, with humble hearts. Father, I, I just pray that you will um, show me, show us all this morning what you have for us in your word concerning marriage, concerning the husband. Father, it's our desire to love our wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Help us as husbands to be willing to do that for our wives. 
So, Father, be with me this morning. Give me clarity. I pray for power from the Holy Spirit to guide my words, guide my tongue. And, Father, I just pray that what we do this morning, that we'll be edified by the Word of God. I pray that I might decrease, that you will increase. So we trust you this morning, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, we'd have to be a hermit, basically, hiding out in a cave somewhere, not to realize that we're living in a post-Christian world or culture. Our nation is falling further and further away from the teachings of our God and of His Word. Every day we see something that it seems uh, we're getting farther and farther from God. Homosexuality, same-sex marriage, men and women living together outside of marriage, unfaithfulness to spouses, divorce, even among professing Christians, and the list goes on and on. It has been said that as goes the family, so goes the world. It can also be said, as goes the father, so goes the family. And we might say, as goes the husband or the father, so goes the family, by Vody Bachman. And I decided to go back a few verses here from my text because it seems so important. We see that there's two truths about being the kind of husband that God calls us to be. And number one is the necessity of being filled with the Spirit. And we're going to go back to verse 18 and read that, and it says, And do not get drunk with wine, uh, for that is a debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Here we see that to be a Spirit-filled leader, we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians 5.18, here we just saw Paul says, Do not get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. He gives us a negative and a positive, and he gives us a sharp contrast here. What happens when one gets drunk? We've all seen it. One loses control of his actions, what he says, what he does. We've seen it. I've seen it where, where maybe the smallest puny of his fellow tries to fight a, a whole battle of men when he's drunk. Or the individual who normally has good speech uh, is filled with profanity and just filthy talk. Galatians 5.16 says, Walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Men, we are to be filled with the Holy Spirit and walk by the Spirit. This is not just a warning. This is a command to walk with the Spirit. We see that sad fact playing out before our eyes in our society and also in many of our churches today where the husband and father is not the spiritual leader in his home or often 
the roles are reversed. We see that so often in our society today. How is it in our homes here at RHC, men? I trust that you men here are spiritual leaders in your own homes. As God's word instructs us to be. We are to be filled with the spirit. It is the only way that I can love my wife or you can love your wife according to God's design and desires. Now verse 19 he shows us what happens when we're filled with the Spirit. He says it speaks to us about worship. In verse 19a, he says, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We need to be men who are worshipers before our wives and family. We should have a joyful heart, one that overflows with Christ's love. And what happens when we have Christ's love overflowing in our hearts? We're not grumpy old men running around. We are filled with the Spirit, and we're singing, as 19b says, and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Notice it says making melody to whom? To the Lord. How? With your heart. This is a worshiping man, a man who exalts, who praises, who honors, and who glorifies his God with a transformed heart. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, one that's holy and acceptable and pleasing unto God, which is your reasonable service of worship. Then he says, Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed how by the renewing of our minds that you might prove what is a good and perfect will of God. Men, we need, our lives need to be lived with a transformed heart by God so we can be a blessing in our homes. Verse 20 goes on and it says, giving thanks always for everything. And it tells us, we are to give thanks to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are to be filled with thanksgiving. This should be our lifestyle. We should be thankful for all things. We understand God's providence and His sovereign grace, don't we? Romans 8.28 tells us, For we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, to those who are called according to his purpose. No matter what storms might come, and they do, no matter what valleys we're called to go through, and they do come, you are able by God's grace to be spiritual leader and guide of your home with thanksgiving, knowing that God is sovereign in all things. You also trust God and rejoice in everything. That's the kind of life we need to live. In Acts 16, we see that the Apostle Paul and Silas were thrown in prison. They were beaten. They were placed in stocks. 
They were hungry, and yet they were singing with all their hearts to the Lord. And through it all, a Philippian jailer came to Christ with his household and was saved. Our lives need to be filled with thanksgiving in all circumstances so we can be a blessing to our wives and to our families. Verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, we are just humble servants in reverence and respect for our Savior, one who is gentle, kind, loving, filled with humility, looking after the interest of our... Whoa. That's right. I forgot this was in my pocket. Oh, well. It'll work. It'll work. <laughs> Whew, couldn't happen to a better guy, huh? <laughs> One who is gentle, kind, loving, filled with humility, looking after the interest of our wives. You know, there's no formula here. There's no 12-step program, just total submission to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's all it is, total submission to Him. I trust that I have become more loving, more giving, more sweeter, more gentle, and more humble to my dear wife than I was 53 years ago. Loving as Christ loves does not depend in the least what others are in themselves, but entirely what we are in Christ. End quote, John MacArthur. It's entirely what we are in Jesus Christ. That's what matters. Husbands, are you allowing yourselves to be filled with the Holy Spirit today? Are you pursuing holiness in your walk with Christ? Is God your all in all in your relationship with your wife? If we are not walking by the Holy Spirit, there is no way that we can perform the biblical role or responsibility as the Word teaches of a husband. But if we are walking in the Spirit, we have all the confidence in the supremacy of Christ that we can be our wife's servant leader and lover. Number two is the priority of loving your wife. And now we go to our text here in verse 23. It says, for the husband is the head of the wife, of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church. What does this show us here? That we are to be the head of our wives. How, how as Christ is the head of the church. What did Jesus Christ do? He laid down his life for the church, didn't he? What kind of a leader was Jesus Christ? We'll look at some specific ways that Christ modeled this leadership to his disciples. And first of all, we're going to look in Matthew 20, 28, where Jesus says that he came, 
He came not to serve. He came to serve. I'm sorry. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and give his ransom, his life a ransom for many. We see first and foremost that we are to humble ourselves. We're to serve our wives as servant leaders. Also in the Gospel of John, John 13, 1 through 15, Jesus taught that leadership is not just a throne or a club, but it's a large towel and a basin. Christ took a basin of water and a towel, and uh, he went around and he washed and wiped the disciples' feet, showing them complete humility. Christ himself was our prime example of humility, wasn't he? Philippians 2, 6 and 8, he says he made himself a servant. He humbled himself and became obedient even to death, point of death, even to death on a cross. Oh, what humility that Jesus Christ, the very Son of God, showed us as he humbled himself and was obedient to the Father going to the cross for you and I dying for our sins. What an example to us, showing us how we should model this humility to our wives. We should be a humble servant to them. Second, Christ practiced continual association. In John 1, 39, and I'm going to turn there for just a moment. John 1, the Gospel of John 1, 39. He says, Teacher, where are, you, where are you staying? And he said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day. Here we see that Jesus Christ spent time with the disciples. He didn't just call them with his cell phone or text them three or four times a day, just uh, said, Hi, how are you doing? But he spent time with them. And men, we need to spend time with our wives. We need to be in close communication with our wives. 1 Peter 3.7 says that we are lit to live or dwell with your wives. Dwell, that literally means to inhabit. We're to inhabit with them. We are to be with them, know them, all about them. I inhabit my house. I know how many rooms I have in my house. I know what I got in my closets, pretty much. And uh, my wife, she's pretty good at getting rid of things out of my closet. And sometimes I go to get something and it's not there. It's gone. But... I am supposed to inhabit, I do inhabit my house. This is the way that we are to live with our wife. You're to know all about her. You know when she's happy, when she's sad. You know when she's hurting, when she's discouraged or she's down. When she's on top of the world. You need to know her that well so that you can be her servant leader. That's, that's what it takes. That's what 
the word teaches us to be to our wives. We need to spend time with our wives. Third, Christ instructed them, the disciples. 1 Corinthians 14, 35, it says, If there is anything they desire to learn, speaking of the wife or the woman, let them ask their husbands at home. Wow. <laughs> I, I wonder how closely this scripture is being followed in our homes today. Uh, that doesn't mean that, that women are any less in equality. No way. There's many times that my wife teaches me much as far as spirituality. But what it does mean, God is, or men is supposed to be the spiritual leader in their own homes. Men do not neglect this clear teaching of God because God has called you to be the spiritual leader in your own home. I was very fortunate from the time that I was, could walk or talk, actually. I always remember my dad taking the Bible and every day reading from us from the Word, and we talked about that together, had mom and I, and er, mom and dad and myself. Um, clear up until the time my dad died at 14, when I was 14. But I understand. You know, it was, a it was a tremendous privilege to me. And I understand that probably many of you and most of you possibly did not have this privilege. But today, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, he will empower you to start to do so. You might say, I don't, know, I don't even know where to start, how to do it. Well, first of all, just start out slow. Pick a, pick a verse in the Bible or, or a Bible uh, book like Ephesians or wherever and just start going through it. If you can't read, your wife will read. Don't worry about that. Uh, just do that each day. My wife and I have been going through the Scripture uh, in a year, and we've been doing it chronologically, and that's really been fun. I mean, it's, it's interesting how the word, how everything follows. Uh, it's, it's just amazing. But I learn much from Ann. I really do by us just going through the word together. But just do it. Do it in your home. Do it every day. Even if it's small, but pick up the word, read it. Just study it together a little bit each day. Just have fellowship together. You and your wife will be blessed. Fourth, Christ was an example. 1 Peter 2, 21. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you leaving an example so that you may follow in his steps. He's gave us ex examples all through his word how to follow, how to be a godly husband. Jesus Christ, our perfect example, taught us godliness, holiness, compassion, dedication, and faithfulness. By God's grace, may we demonstrate this to our wife and our children. The Bible teaches that we are not only our wife's servant leader, but we are to be her lover. 
Dr. Jay Adams, author and counselor and seminary professor, has combined these two concepts and says, husbands are to be loving leaders. thought that's a good way of putting it. We're to be their loving leaders. Our wives have such a great need for love, and we men seems to have such a lack of showing love that God commanded husbands to love his wife three times in just the space of a very few verses here in Ephesians. Two times in verses 28 and 33, he says, love his wife as he loves himself. In verse 25, he says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And now in verse 25a, he says, husbands, love your wives. How? There's about six things, six different uh, various ways I've written down that we are to love our wives as, how Christ loved us. In John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Unconditional love. We are to show unconditional love to our wife. We give of ourselves and we don't always love them because they love us back. We love them anyway. We choose to love. Romans 5.8, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Here he showed us an unselfish love. We are to be unselfish towards our wife. Love them unselfishly. Ephesians 5.2, as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God, an intense love. It is an intense love that we love our wives. Romans 5.10, For if while we were enemies, we're reconciled to God by the death of His Son, this shows us a sacrificial love. He died for us. We should be willing to die for our wife. Lay our lives down. Deuteronomy 6.7.6 6 says, For you are a people... Holy to the Lord your God. The Lord has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all people who are on the face of the earth. Treasured possession out of all people who are on the face of the earth. A volitional love. God's choosing. God's choosing. This is just a few scriptures that shows us the various ways that we are to love our wives. And I was totally and really struck uh, with the volitional love, with God's choosing. He chose Anne for me. As a teenager, uh, growing up in Ohio, nearly 3,000 miles away from here, I would have never dreamed of living in California, let alone uh, finding my wife in California. As a boy, I very rarely traveled any farther west than Indiana. That's about as far as I got. 
I didn't even know what a mountain looked like until I got to Colorado and saw the Rocky Mountains and then the Sierra Nevadas here in California. Now, here in God's own choosing, I found my wife here in Modesto, California. God providentially set that up 53 years ago. Proverbs 31 says, an excellent wife, who can find? It says, she is more precious than jewels. And I might say, more precious than gold. She's worth everything. When God sent Anne into my life, into my life uh, it just happened. You know, we were with a group of young people on a Christmas caroling, um, where we went out, you know, you, you Christmas caroled the shut-ins and the, the elderly, and uh, we just all packed into various cars. And I was driving my car because we went from one place to the other, and sometimes we'd go a few miles, you know, between the next stop. And it seemed like uh, as we was driving, this cute little blonde kept sitting next to me in my car. And, you know, we, we all piled in. There was probably six or seven people in my car, girls and guys. And anyway, it seemed like as the night wore on, she kept scooting a little bit closer and closer to me, <laughs> even though there was only three in the front seat. I couldn't figure that out. Well, you know, <laughs> you know how I am. I'm uh, really shy and both... Uh, uh, Bashful, <laughs> boastful, I was about to say, <laughs> maybe, <laughs> but I'm pretty bashful, and well, I was back then, and any, anyway, I decided, man, I need to ask this gal out, and uh, so, at the end of the evening, I did, I asked her if I could take her home, and she accepted, and that's the rest of the story, the rest is history. But God sent Anne into my life, and she is my perfect wife. She is perfect for me. I didn't say she was perfect. I said, <laughs> she is my perfect wife, because she is. She's perfect for me, just what I needed. God knew that. She's my helper. Um, she's my sanctifier. Uh, men, if you... Want to be sanctified? Get married. <laughs> Young guys back there. That'll do it. But Anne is my perfect gift from God, and I thank Him for that. And I see that more and more as the years go by. I really do. I can see ways that, that I would have never become maybe the man of God that I am without Anne. I, I, it wouldn't have happened. So God knew that. He knew I needed her. John 15, 13 says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And yes, we should be willing to lay down our lives for our wives. Verse 25b says, Love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. What did Christ do for the church? Well, it says he gave himself up for her. 
You know, I don't know about you, but I'll never be able to understand this side of heaven, that sacrificial love that Jesus Christ has for his church, the bride of Christ. And he tells us, this is the same kind of love that I'm supposed to have for my wife, like Christ has for his church. That's totally amazing. That just blows my mind. Who then of us can truly understand or who can really plumb the depths of Christ's unmeasured love? No one. I don't think there's anyone. There's a song that I found by John Peterson that portrays his love, Christ's love, in some depths. And it goes like this. We may sound the depths of all the mighty oceans. We may tell the distance to the farthest star. But the mighty love of God cannot be measured. Its dimensions are so high, so deep, so far. And boy, isn't that true? God's love is so high, so deep, so far. Only Christ can give us this kind of love. If you and I are willing to sacrifice our life for our wife, we will certainly be willing to make lesser sacrifices for her. You know, I can put my likes, my desires, my opinions. It's warm today. My preferences, my welfare aside, so I can please her and meet her needs. That is total submission, isn't it? I don't know about the rest of you guys, but I know for this fella, uh, even though I love Ann dearly, sometimes it's a really tough job to love her like that. And I think far too often I fail there. For example, there's several examples I've written down. I mean, this list could go on. <laughs> Just ask my wife. You know, we got this piece of furniture in our bedroom. And it's kind of a, a square box, kind of like. And, and anyway, they call it a clothes hamper. It's got this <laughs> lid, you know, that goes up and down. And for some reason, I don't get it, but anyway, my wife thinks that my clothes need to go inside this box in this camper and close the lid. Well, I don't do too bad of a job doing that, but the where I do a bad job that she's not too real happy about is that I like to put my clothes, my pants, and my shirt that maybe I'm going to wear in the garden tomorrow and some other clothes that maybe I'm going to wear um, I don't know if I go to town, and before you know it, you know, my clothes start to pile up a little bit. I get higher and higher, and finally she says, Dear, I think it's time. Put your clothes in the clothes closet. <laughs> I don't know. That's just the way it is. And it kind of tends to bother her a little bit. So anyway, that's one area that I need to do better. And then there's another thing. Uh, she bought this new garbage can, and man, that baby is a wing dinger. I mean, it, it's a dandy. It's stainless steel, and it's got a lever on the bottom. You push it, and this lid goes up. And, 
you know, you, she did that for a reason because that garbage can gets full, you know, and then after a while, it lid starts to rise a little bit and before long that garbage starts to peek at you and gets higher and higher and so I swing, she says, honey, it's time to, to take out the garbage. So I go in and I push it down real hard, lid goes down, it's not long that the lid goes back up again and the garbage starts to seep out and look at me again and I go sit down, I forget about it and next thing I know it's hanging on the, the doorknob going out to our garage. So finally, I do get up and take it out. But anyway, that's just a couple things. And, and then uh, I got this chair, you know, my, my recliner that I sit in. It's a big recliner, and I sit in there from time to time, and I might eat a banana or an apple or something. And sometimes I accidentally drop it down on the floor there, and uh, maybe not accidentally, but... and then. <laughs> After a day or two, she says, Honey, I think it's time that maybe you would reach down all the way down to the carpet there and pick that up and maybe take it to the garbage can. Can you believe that? <laughs> well, also, we have a small rug right in front of my chair. And that rug, you know, uh, it's, it has a tendency, my foot kind of moves it around a little bit and it goes crooked. And Ann doesn't do crooked. <laughs> I found that out. And uh, I have these shoes that, you know, you got to have your shoes by your, shoe, your chair because if you want to go out to the, to the mailbox or you want to go out and water the flowers or something like that, you got to have your shoes where you can pick them up. You don't want to walk 30 feet all the way into the bedroom, get your shoes and then go get them, go out. Uh, anyway, th those are just a few things I thought I would share with you this morning to show you that I am human. And my wife says, very human. <laughs> but you know what? That's what makes marriage and a relationship fun, isn't it? It really is. That's what makes it fun. You get a laugh about it. Uh, maybe you can't when you're 25 or 35 or 45, but when you get 71 and been married for over 50 years, it's fun. You know, you can just let that little boy flow out of you. Anyway, had to throw that one in. Verse 26 and 7, we'll cover that just briefly here. Uh, it says that he might sanctify her, speaking of the wife, by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy without blemish. When you and I as husbands love our wives like Christ loves the church, we continually seek to do what? We seek to help purify her from every type of defilement. We will protect her from the world's contamination and protect her holiness, her virtue, and every way that we possibly can. We would never induce our wives to do something unwise or sinful, would we? We would only encourage her to do that which is good, to build her virtue up. We see that saving grace makes believers, husbands and wives, holy through the cleansing agency of the Word of God. 
so that we may be presented to Christ as his pure bride. It's with that same purpose and that same love that we husbands are to cultivate the purity, righteousness, and sanctity of our wives through the word of God. Verse 28 and 30. He says, In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. Boy, that one hits me kind of hard. You know, we men spend a lot of time, a lot of thought, a lot of money on taking care of the old number one, don't we? Yeah, ourselves. We do. My needs, my desires, my hopes, my dreams, my comforts, man, they are important to me. I even nourish and cherish my own body. When I'm hungry, I eat. When I'm thirsty, I drink. When I'm tired, I sleep. As I'm getting older, it's a little harder, but I try to sleep. I am exact, extremely careful to nourish and cherish my own body. But that's the way that Jesus Christ says that we are to nourish and cherish our wives. We're to nourish and cherish them. We're to protect her, to satisfy her, sacrifice for her, just as I would for my own body. Now, men, these two types of love that we've seen in Scripture that we've looked at is a whole lot of love. God's Word is very high standard, but the dividends are tremendous on this earth for our marriages and also the one to come. It is important that we love our wives like Christ loved the church and like we love our own selves. God commands this. In this day and time, difficult measures, it seems. Verse 31, this last verse, it says, Therefore, a man shall leave father and mother and cleave to his wife. In this verse, we see that God-given command for husband and wife to leave father and mother. I know Cameron covered that very well last Sunday. Thanks, Cameron. You did a, a great job there. But I think it's so important that I'm going to cover it again. Uh, I think it's one of the greatest barriers to a successful marriage is the failure of the, the failure of one or both parties to do this, to leave father and mother, or the failure of the parents to let go of the child. A new family's been formed. The relationships of the former families are to be severed as far as the authority 
and the responsibilities are concerned. Those authorities and those responsibilities are the husband and the wife. He said they are to be one flesh. The parents are no longer, it's no longer your responsibility to control or interfere in the lives of your children. My father-in-law told me before we were married, bless his heart, he said, Bruce, if you ever need advice, um, I'll always be there. I'll be available for you. But he said, I will never, ever interfere in you and Ann's marriage. He says, if you have problems, you take care of them. That's your job. I never forgot that. And he and my mother-in-law were true to their word. They never, ever, that I can remember, interfered unless we asked them. Never. And do you know what that was? That was a real blessing to Ann and I. That was probably one of the greatest blessings that they could have done for us. They were able to let go and let us develop our own homes the way that God intended. We are to leave, it says. It says, and let the wife's, see, no, however, let, I'm sorry, verse 31, I have to go back here a little bit. Shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. We are to leave and hold fast or cleave to our wife. And cleave, I think Cameron covered it last week, means to be glued or cemented together. And what do you have when, when two things are, are cemented together or glued together? They're supposed to hold together. They're supposed to stay together, never come apart. That's what, it, that's what you do when you glue something. In this case... One plus one equals one. Two people, one flesh. One flesh is referring to our physical, our spiritual, and our emotional oneness. And I'm going to go to 1 Corinthians. Those of you who have your Bibles, you may turn there. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. This is, a, this is a chapter that probably maybe isn't being taught. Maybe you've never, I don't know, I'm sure you've read through it, but maybe it's never really sunk in to you. But I think it's, a, it's, it's a, some verses here that's very important to our marriages. I really do. They're the principles. In verse 3 of chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians, it says this, the husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the, life, the wife does. 
And then he says, do not deprive, verse 5, do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again, so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Here he tells us we are not to deprive or withhold sex from each other, and only for a limited time. This is not my words. This, folks, this is, uh, this is the word of God. Um, this is something that I think we as uh, husbands and wives need to communicate with each other. We do. And during this time, we should come together in prayer, but then come together again, it says. Don't neglect. Why prayer? So that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I think many marriages, I've seen it actually happen uh, in my last 50 years of being in eldership work, I have seen situations where husband or wife, there was no communication and maybe there was no sex for a good long stretch of time, no communication, that maybe the guy got discouraged, fell into sin, whether it was pornography, running around with someone else, it happens. And it's, uh, this is why. The reason is so. Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. It's important, folks. It really is. It's what God says. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 6 tells us this. It says two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, Two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Solomon tells us that life is much better with companionship. You know, I can vouch for that. Uh, two is better than one. We can lift each other up. We can fight the enemy together. Uh, you know, the enemy is attacking our marriages today, and probably Christian marriages even more so. In I think it's First Peter five through twelve, maybe, where it says that Satan is um, going about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Um, and my son down in Carlsbad, Aaron, says that he's no domesticated kitty cat. He's a roaring lion. And yes, that's true. He is. Toil together. 
We keep warm together. We worship together. We pray together. Two are better than one. Charles Spurgeon once told the story of how discouraged uh, he would get many times during his preaching ministry. And one night he came home and he was just utterly destroyed. He was exhausted. And, and he walked in the door and he found his easy chair and he sat down to rest there. And as he bowed his head, he happened to look over on the couch and his wife had just needle stitched on a pillow these words in Matthew chapter 5, verse 10. It said, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. There, Spurgeon broke down in tears, thanking God for his dear wife while she encouraged him not to give up, but to press forward. And we know the story. Spurgeon continued for many years preaching and preaching the word of God. And I can't tell you, as I look back on my many years, uh, I can't tell you how many times Anne's been there for me when I was down and discouraged and maybe just wanted to throw in the towel. And she said, no, honey, you keep going. God has quoted scriptures for me, and so many times she was there for me. I thank you, dear. I am so, so thankful for my loving wife. I, 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 just, I just can't tell you what she means to me. I love her more and more and more and more every day. And you know, there's three little words that I would like to encourage you men to tell your wife often. Tell her that you love her. You know, those aren't very hard words to say. They're only three words. I love you. But you know, they mean so much to your wife. You might say, how do you know? Well, I just know. Because when I tell my wife I love her, she gets that cute little grin and, uh, on her face and her eyes light up. I love you, honey. <clears throat> I hope that each one of you can have the kind of marriage that Ann and I have had. I really do. It hasn't been a perfect marriage, not by a long shot. We've had our struggles. We've had our battles. But I'll tell you what, it's worth every, every minute of it. In closing, my desire today has been that this message is not just a warning or a challenge, but I trust it's been an encouragement 
to you men, especially as husbands, concerning your role and responsibility as a husband. We have seen the necessity of being filled with the Spirit and the priority of loving your wife. I trust you're a little more informed about the word of, what the Word of God teaches us rather than relying on just others' opinions or our culture. It's so easy to let culture just lure us into laziness and not be diligent in searching the Scriptures for ourselves. I can't tell you how much importance that is because husbands and fathers who have a lack of knowledge of the Word of God, it's causing many, many marriages and families to crumble to pieces. But you know, just hearing this sermon, and this morning will be of little or no value to you unless you put these things into practice. But knowing the facts will not promote oneness in your marriage, but performing them will. I would ask that we might examine our hearts and our relationships with our wife in light of these truths this morning. Only as we have Christ and are filled with his Holy Spirit are these things even possible. For we who are in Christ, we have this promise in his word. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things, Paul said, through Christ who strengthens me. And I'm going to leave you with just four practical steps that might help you. Number one, seek cleansing of all your sins through Christ's blood. Ephesians 1 says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. Ask him to cleanse you. Number two, ask for the Holy Spirit's power to change your hearts. Galatians 5.16, but if I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of your flesh. Walk by the Holy Spirit. Number three, move out in obedience to God's word. James 1.22 says, but be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Like I said, it's easy to be hearers and not doers, but let's do them. And four, make confession to God and to your wife. 1 John 1, size if said, 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful to forgive you your sins. Don't be afraid to come before God and before your wife and ask forgiveness of these things. May God bless each one of you in your marriages this morning that we can be a true light to the world that others might see and that they might be built up as well. I would be remiss if I didn't share the gospel. It looks to me like most everyone here that I know of is probably saved individuals, but if there's anyone here 
that does not, does not know Jesus Christ as your Savior, I'm pleading with you, today is a day of salvation. Hear the gospel. Jesus Christ left heaven and he came down, walked upon this earth and lived a perfect life. And he went to the cross and he died and he shed his blood for our sins that we could be forgiven. And on the third day, he was buried. He was buried and then on the third day, he rose again. And now he's seated at the right hand of God interceding for us. Believe the gospel. Today is the day of salvation. If you haven't, please come to him today.